Let's, let's talk a bit today about the, the subject, the kingdom of heaven. I wanted to talk about the kingdom of heaven because uh, we could probably say the kingdom of God. I do know that there are some uh, theologians and well-schooled people who say that they are different. The kingdom of heaven is different than the kingdom of God. But um, could be. I find, anyway, so many parallels that I don't know where the difference is. But I do know that in this sphere, this S-P-H-E-R-E, this sphere that, uh, in which we are living, um, we want to call, I want to call it the kingdom of heaven because I want you to understand that this is a, a in-between-the-times period. It's like an in-between period that you and I find ourselves living in. Uh, I, I don't think that, as I study the Old Testament, I don't find clearly this time period talked about. But we do talk about a time, the prophets rather talked about a time when Gentiles would be saved, but they never talked about a time when uh, Gentiles would be called the body of Christ and share that reality with Jews. It just was not really clear or, or was not known. As a matter of fact, many Messianic Jewish uh, brothers, I find that they still have a very difficult time understanding our place in the body of Christ. They have a, a difficult time. And anything that we say that, uh, about our place, it's almost always seen or misconstrued as replacement theology, that we have now uh, have taken the attitude of having replaced them. I, I think that that is a warning. We, we don't want to replace them. But there, because there's so many, well, we don't want to think we replaced them. We're not going to. But there's so many scriptures that Jesus leaves, if I may say it respectfully, a little bit ambiguous, a, a little bit unclear uh, for us. And I think that he does these things intentionally so that we might search for everything and not just sit back and just let everything come to us. We might search for the truth, but uh, we'll find the truth of God. I said those few things just to say that in the kingdom of heaven, it is not a perfect place, as it were. There are perfect people in the kingdom of heaven. You see, I believe that we are perfect people in the sense that God has saved us, and he has done something in every believer that is perfect. There's something in every believer that is perfect. Uh, and so I do know that, that you will always hear Bible teachers and preachers say things like, well, I'm not perfect. Well, what they mean is they mess up from time to time. But there is a place in you that is perfect, or you could never say, I am saved. I have been saved. If it is not done, then your salvation is what we would call precarious or, or uncertain. Uh, the outcome is still hanging in the balance. But, but it's not for you and me. We are saved eternally. Amen. There are some people who want to argue that. They want to argue that we are not, never saved eternally. They, they, they think that that's somehow blasphemous to say we're saved eternally. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I've been, I've been accused of believing in once saved, always saved. I always like to smile and say I don't ever say once saved, always saved. But I do believe that Christ is the author of eternal salvation. All right? To all who obey him. 
So he gives eternal salvation. He brings eternal things. And so when we say that, we're not saying that, that you can be sloppy because in the kingdom of heaven, we can't readily identify everybody among us. It's not easily uh, identifiable to say, okay, this one is saved, that one is saved, that one is saved. You can know for yourself. And then there's some we've walked with. We know this is a saved person. You know, this is a saved brother, this is a saved sister. There are those we can say that uh, assuredly of. This is saved. But you know whether or not your conduct is not in accord with godliness. Now, now that's not always a sure test that you're not saved. Um, but it, it, it can be that, that you persistently walk in ungodliness, things like unforgiveness, you know, unrighteousness, un, unholy, you know, those things. Then we can say, wait a minute, something's wrong with this picture. So you want to be very careful, however, doing that because uh, we, we don't want to condemn people because that's not our place. Okay, this is just some things I wanted to say about the kingdom of heaven. Maybe, maybe a, a one or two more. <clears throat> because in this place, the kingdom of heaven, uh, uh, you have good and bad. You have wheat, that's something good, right? And then you have bad, weeds. So God lets us know that that wheat and weeds are all growing together in the kingdom of heaven. And, and uh, when, when they're young, it, it's hard to, to determine which is which. When they grow up, you don't want to pull them up because if you pull up the, the weeds, you will always pull up the wheat and you will destroy the crop. But you, don't, you want to wait until the harvest time comes. So we're teaching on on these things so that you'll understand harvest time. Let me say this in case I don't get to it. That, that your comportment, your deportment as you carry yourself, your conduct in everyday life is a litmus test. And what, we, uh, and what God is going to do when, when Jesus comes, he is going to deal with everything that's false. And what Jesus does is he gives us an understanding uh, that you and I must live like men and women who are, who are expecting their master. And, and this is part of the message today. You want to live a part of the intent of the message. You want to live in expectancy. Amen. You don't want to live like you don't want him to come home. You know, I remember when I was a boy, we, you know, mom and dad would leave the house and they would tell us, okay, do this and this and this. And my younger brothers may not have been told that but the older ones of us told you, do this, 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 this. And uh, when they left home, we did that, 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 that. <laughs> and when somebody would say, oh, they're coming. <laughs> we would run. I mean, it's a true story. We would run and start to try to get our work done. Invariably. Invariably. It's like daddy sped up. But he didn't, of course. But it was like that. Like he mashed on the gas. He got there and he caught us with our work undone. He caught us with our work undone. Now, I don't know about you, how you grew up. I grew up in a good home, good parents. But there were always consequences. <laughs> For not having your work done. There were always consequences. And uh, I feel like I would like to go on a rabbit trail, but I won't go too far. I just take a couple of steps. 
And that is, parents, if you're a good parent, then you, there will be consequences for things that you've told your children to do that they didn't do because what it did, it, it taught me something about God growing up in my household. In Luke chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, Jesus says, let your waist be girded. And what he's saying is, have your belt on. You, you know, if you had to run and your pants were too big and you got to hold them and run, you're not going to make much, much, much time. You got to hold them and run. So he's saying, when this comes, you want to be girded right. You want to let your waist be girded. You know, have your belt on, be cinched up. Your lamp's burning because he may come back at an inopportune time late at night. And yourselves be like men, be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. You know, we, were, we grew up in the country and uh, on a highway, and we made sure we locked our doors because there were hobos who would walk around. Sometimes they'd come down, and it would be hobos, so you had to keep your doors locked. But when we knew that Daddy was coming and our work wasn't undone, we wanted to make sure those doors were locked. And, uh, <laughs> and we were hustling to get our work done. He could hear us moving around inside. He'd open up. And of course, when we opened up, our work was undone. But Jesus is saying, you want to be like those who when the master knocks, the door opens. Okay? And so if you've not comported yourself well, you're going to be wanting some more extra time. No extra time will be given to you. Paul tells us in Philippians, uh, Philippians 1.27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. So then what we want to do is we want to have daily conduct that is commensurate with what the gospel is. So that means that whatever the gospel says, whatever the good news says, your conduct must, must correspond with that. So as believers, I'm saying these things because there are all kinds of misinformation that is unintentional, and there's all, all kinds of disinformational, intentional, for, for people of God and for the world at large. So then we're living in a world where many believe, I don't know what to believe. They believe that. I don't know what to be. How can I know? Because I don't know what to believe. There's just so many lies. Lies are pervasive all over. You agree? Yes. Okay, some of us agree. Uh, but they're not prevalent. They are pervasive, but not prevalent. What I mean by not prevalent, they are not prevailing. They are because the truth prevails, lies are pervasive. So then being people of the truth, being citizens of heaven, we must also be, be citizens or people of truth. Be now, I, I want you to really get this because you are to stand in stark opposition to all lies, not some lies, all lies. So if, if, you, if, you, if, if my friend lies, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm still your friend if I don't want to point anybody. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You, you know... So if my friend lies, I'm still his friend. But I'm, in, I'm his friend now to get him right. I'm not get his friend to, to make him comfortable in his lie. Are you with me? So as a citizen of heaven, I must be of the truth, not sometimes, not a convenient truth. No, all the time I must be because the heavenly citizen is this kind of person. He says, let your conduct, let the way you behave, let the way you, mo you move, you live your life, be worthy of the gospel. And so it means that, that I, uh, 
the Browns were here earlier in, in the first service, and I talked about, about this um, because uh, also having, uh, she is just an amazing uh, teacher of, of math, and she knows all that stuff so, so good. She can teach you that stuff. But, but what it would be like is to have an equal sign and says, Christian conduct equals Christ. That's what it says. Let your conduct be worthy of this gospel of Christ. So then what I am living is the same thing I am preaching. This is what it says. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, as you find that, let me say that Jesus is giving us all this information, uh, not just to be something to hear, but something to be lived out. He's giving us all this amazing and wonderful information so that, and not only just the hearing of it, but now he gives us the ability to carry it out by giving us the Holy Spirit. And so now we have the ability to live out the very words of God. We are citizens of another world. Paul says, therefore, if there be any consolation or encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one I mean, I'm sorry, of one mind. Being of one accord, of one mind. Now what Paul is saying here is that he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. This is an amazing, um, I want to say experiment, forgive me for that, that's not a, a great word, but this is an amazing experiment here in our fellowship. We've all come together by the Spirit of God. He's bringing those people he wants here, and we're bringing it. And look around you. Just take a look around. You may not be able to. Just take a moment and look around and just see everybody. We've got so many different outwardly, look different people. They look different. I can tell you we come, even those of us who look the same, we come from different backgrounds. We come from uh, different cultures, we, and even uh, national cultures, uh, we come from we're different races, different ethnic groups. Uh, we even come from, even if we're the same ethnic group, we come from different family cultures. And so we're all this diversity is here. It's amazing how that is. And what Paul says is, but I want you all to be of the same mind. That's amazing to me. How is it possible? It's possible by the Spirit of God. It's, a, it's possible by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not for, ooh. I mean, he's not just for that. I mean, if, if you need that, I'm sure he can give you some of it. But that's, that's not what he is. He, he's giving us the same mind. Why? Because we, there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. So we're all hearing the same gospel. It's not like I ought to be something, you ought to be that, whatever. I do know there are diversities of gifts. That, that's no issue. That, that, that is not at all a contradiction of what I'm saying. But I'm saying that we should all have the same mind of Christ, the same intent and purpose. I, 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 I used to lo love football until my pastor called a, a church dinner on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Sounded like I haven't forgiven him, didn't it? Pray for me. But I, I, I always like football. And I had an opportunity to watch the Super Bowl recently. Uh, and uh, 
And so I, I, I really, I, I really um, um, in, enjoyed the, the Super Bowl. I, I enjoyed, you know, watching um, the, the Super Bowl. All of those players on, the, on one team, let's just use mm, Kansas City as an example. You know, everybody wasn't doing the same thing, but they had the same goal. And, and that's the purpose of God in the earth for all of us. We're citizens of heaven. We must have the same goal. If we are, if the team is going in this direction and one of our members is going in that direction, we don't turn around and follow No, we're, this is our goal, and we, keep, we stay true to our goal. This is what God wants all of us to know, and even more so as we see the day approaching. I, I, I would say these days, being Christian is serious business. Tells us to be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind, being full of humility. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. It's, it's right for you to look out for your interests, but not against somebody else. Not hurt somebody else to reach your goal. Not be selfishly ambitious. You, it doesn't matter who you walk on. It doesn't matter what, who you hurt in the church. Don't mind hurting people. I hate to hurt people. Even when God tells me, say this, ah, oh, Jesus, that's going to hurt. Say it. Because by doing it, I help. But it, it still even bothers me to do that. Don't be so eager to hurt people. Don't be selfish don't be so selfishly ambitious that you don't mind who you step on. And just because you're on the platform today doesn't mean you're going to be on there tomorrow. Because we are being judged daily so that we won't be judged with the wicked. So God is going to be promoting and demoting. And you're going to see it. You're going to see it. No, no, no. So let's keep on. I want to give you a little bit more Christian conduct because this is, I didn't develop this message because I saw something wanted to develop the message. I was in some place in the world and Sister Rose called me and asked me or texted me or something and said, what will be your message? I'm going, okay. I'll get back with you. And so the, the Lord just put it on my heart to teach on the kingdom of heaven. But, and and I, I'm so glad he did because what we want to do is understand these in, this in-between time. 
between the first coming of the Lord and the, com the second coming of the Lord. So we want to know what's going on in this time. And so Jesus is telling us by these amazing parables that there's going to be good and bad stuff. Actually gives a, 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 an example about the wheat and the tares. He gives one about a sower sowing seed and some falls on the path on the wayside. Some falls among thorns and some falls on rocky ground and then some falls on good ground. So we got all of that in, in, in the visible church. Wow. He tells us one about a drag net that is thrown by a fisherman. He throws this big dra drag net, and then he pulls it into the shore, and there's all kinds of fish in it. And he separates the good from the bad. And so what he's showing us, uh, you know, is that there are all kinds of fish. Just like out in uh, Corpus Christi Bay, you could throw that out, and you're going to get all that. You're going to get some shrimp. You're going to get some crab. In there. You're going to get some dogfish. In there. You're going to get hardheads, really a lot of hardheads. You're going to... But you're going to get some good fish too, and you're going to separate the good from the bad. And that's what this is all about. God is, this grace that we talk about, grace, 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 we, we sang a great song, I think, last week about that, grace, wonderful grace. Grace is not allowing you to be crazy till Jesus comes. We sometimes, have, we sometimes have this crazy idea of grace. The gracious, uh, I know I'm tired, so I got the grace. You're going to get the door, man. You know, grace is space to get it right. All right? So let's keep reading, huh? Are you okay with me? Um, thank you. In Philippians chapter 3, let's start at verse 17, 17. So Paul says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So Paul is saying that, that we who are in leadership, we may not have always been perfect, uh, you know, whatever we are, but we're, we're a lot better now, right? You know, almost all of our leaders, we're a lot better now. We've grown into it. I was talk to, talking to some of our younger pastors, and I was talking to them about some things about myself, and uh, basically that, that I've, I've just learned a few things by walking it out, and, and uh, you know, there were times when I was younger that I, I, I would, for example, I saw a, a guy coming into the church, and he disrespected the church, there were there's several stories like that, but this time we were in this big meeting, a huge meeting, maybe about four times as big as this, five times as big as this group here today. And uh, my wife and I were sitting on, on, like on that side, and this guy walked down the middle. Everybody had his hat on in the house. And in those days, you know, hey, hey. You know, I mean, we always allow women to wear the hats, but, you know, you couldn't, couldn't if you were a guy. So anyway, the guy had his hat, so somebody on the platform said, well, the gentleman at the back, please uh, remove his hat. And so the guy at the back looked up. And boy, that fire started burning in my belly. I mean, that fire was in my belly. I thought, how dare this man defy the leaders in God's house? And I was sitting over there with, I, 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 I uh, uh, was sitting with my wife, and so the, the guy then had the audacity to walk down the center aisle and, uh, and defy the man of God, take his head off and put it back on. And I just wanted to get up and get him. I, I, it, I, I'm talking about where I've come from. I, I did not get up and get it, but I wanted to. Now, there are some of you, maybe you, you got low fire. I had high fire. And, and I wanted to get up and get him. But the Bible says what kept me seated was that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. 
and so, yes, I wanted to, but I, I can't act like a citizen of the earth. I have to act like a citizen from above. That, that's who we are. You can do it. You can do it whether you're at home or in the big public meeting. He says, follow us. Follow my example as you have us for a pattern. So every one of us in leadership must be a pattern for others. And if we are not, then soon we will be removed. Either by, by leadership you will be removed or you'll be removed by God himself. You will be removed. I believe that God in this particular day, and I believe this, I believe it's prophetic, that more and more he wants people to see the, the, the real from the wrong. He wants to see them to see the true from the false. And so in his house, he will be cleaning. I believe that. So Paul says in verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, he was crying, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So there are people who are come in the visible church who are literal enemies of the cross of Christ. They do not have God's objectives. They have their own. They don't change. They were mean when they got saved, and they stayed mean all through. They were judgmental when they got saved. They stayed that way all through. So we need to deal with those things. And when we see that dealt with, we will, we will be able to say what the truth is and what the truth isn't. Sometimes we have not lived our lives in, in accordance with truth. Therefore, it's very Truth is what we would call nebulous. It's, kind, it's cloudy. We don't, we don't quite get it. You can't see it. But it's not that way. It's clear and it's stark. It's black and white. It's right, it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. So get rid of your gray. If you're expecting Jesus to come, get rid of your gray. He Paul said those people, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory, their glory is their shame who set their mind on earthly things. Paul says, these kinds of people set their minds on earthly things. So then that means that those of us who are living for Jesus and expecting Jesus to come, we must not set our minds on earthly things. So he's writing to the, uh, to the uh, Philippians. And he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying here, the people of Philippi were living, they were citizens of Rome, but they were living like uh, colonial people, colonists. They were living uh, far from Rome, but they had Roman citizenship. So we Christians are living on the earth while we have citizenship in heaven. All right? Our citizenship is in heaven. So, so we must live like people of heaven, not earthly people trying to get there, all right? And God has empowered us with the Holy Spirit so we are able to do that. Okay, so the earthly people, like the people of Philippi, set their minds exclusively on earthly things, but we are, the, 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 Paul is saying to his audience, they must set their minds on heavenly things. Are you with me? So you must not be so involved in earthly things that you contradict what is heavenly. Are you with me? Come on, I know the challenge is there. I know the challenge is there. So he says to us, 
in verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also, these who are truly born again, also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. This term, eagerly wait, translates from a Greek word that suggests a tiptoe anticipation and longing. You know, I was talking in the first service, I was noticing the Mutchler boys. I call uh, uh, Pastor Tam's boys the Mutchler boys. You know, so uh, the Mutchler boys. And I can see them. They are here somewhere. They're always here. They're always here. But when they see him, uh, they, they'll start doing this, standing on their tiptoes. You know, maybe mom's kind of holding them, corralling them, maybe corralling them. I like to use that word. <laughs> and they are on their tiptoes. Like they waited to get there and, and, and want to go to daddy. They saw daddy. And, and I say, I, I love that because when I was a kid, that was where it was with us. Daddy came home from working on the railroad Friday evening. We were just waiting. So, so he says that those who are citizens of heaven are on their tiptoes waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. Is that you? Come on, is that you? Is that you? Is that the way you are? Or, is, or as Americans, is your life so great that you don't mind if Jesus postponed it? Your 401k is so wonderful and retirement is so good or I, my view for retirement is so good. Wow. Are you on your tiptoes? Is that you, what's going on in you? Longing. Longing. I just want Jesus to come. I want, oh. You know, no, we don't seem to be that way anymore. That means if, if we're not that, it means that, that the salt has lost its savor. We, no, we, we must stay salty. Not as the world sees salt. But as God does. Let's look at this. He says in Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking of Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens. He had, look around you. I, don't, I think there are probably maybe one or two of us may be of Jewish uh, derivation, but most of us are just totally Gentiles. Just Gentiles. Gentilic Gentiles. But now he, he has made us fellow citizens with the saints with the Old Testament saints and members of the household of God, with all of those believing Jews, he has made us fellow members of God's family. Household of God, God's family. That's big. He said, so act like you're God's child. Act like you're a child of God. Walk like you're a child of God. Believe like you're a child of God. Do everything like you're a child of God. You know, when, I was, when our kids were younger, I don't know if they remember this. They, they, they probably do. But when they were younger, we would always say to them, you're a Lavelle's and we don't do that. You know, we are, we're the Lavelle's and we don't say that. We are the, we're the Lavelle's. That's kind of, uh, maybe there's some of you who are like that. You know, you go, hey, hey, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. We're Bennett's and we don't do that. You know, you know what I'm saying? We're Mushler's. We don't do that. No, we're Johnson's. We don't do that. You know, and that, that's how you rear your children because, because there are certain conduct that you want your, to be representative of your family. And there is conduct. That's why the Bible outlays this conduct because this is representative of God's family. So if I'm God's child, I must have the conduct that God not describes, but prescribes. Are you with me? Come on, give Jesus a hand for that. 
So, so in the kingdom of heaven, you're going to see things that contradict what I've just said, but that's how you know they are not who they say they are or they've not developed yet. And so I like to have patience because I don't know whether they're weeds or just haven't developed yet. I, I like to, you, you may say, well, pastor, just too slow. Well, I am slow. <laughs> you told the truth on that one. But why am I slow? Why am I slow to overcorrect? I don't want to overcorrect because maybe they're just developing. And I don't want to stunt the growth of those who are slow in developing. Follow the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Romans 8, verses 28 through 22, I'm sorry, through 20, 22, 23, and 25. Are you there? You see it? For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So he says the whole creation is waiting on something, waiting on the development, waiting on the, the, the manifestation of us, the sons of God. It's waiting on that. It's waiting on that. The creation, it says, is, is straining. It's laboring. It groans. All the creation, not just the earth, all of creation, the planets, everything. They're laboring. It says, not only that. Now, that's powerful enough to just think that creation, everything that God created, been tainted by the rebellion of Satan. And now it's groaning and laboring and birth pangs until now. Said so not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Now listen to what I said. On tiptoes, eagerly waiting, tiptoed, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. And so this is, does not mean that you're not a child of God now. You are a child of God, but 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 in the resurrection, when Jesus comes, he's going to give us a glorified body. So you are not waiting on, on to, be, to be called a son of God, because right now you're a son of God. That means that you're able to do God's business. But now, and later, the, the next thing is you're going to get a glorified body just like Jesus has. He says you ought to be living your life expecting it. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah, somebody. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So God's going to give you a new body just like Jesus, a body that, that can go through the wall as it were. But what it really means is not going through the wall. It's no big deal. But what it means is there are no walls for you. That's what it means for you. It means that you can operate in the invisible and the visible alike. Hallelujah. That's what God wants for you. This is huge for you. This is what citizens must anticipate. Hallelujah, somebody. I'm a citizen of heaven. I was telling the first service that when we were living in the Middle East, uh, my family, I didn't mind going there because in those days, I believed, and I believe it was totally true as an American, if anything happened, my government thought I was important enough to, to send somebody for me. And so I took my family to the Middle East, and we lived there. I knew that if they... If anybody, you know, got out of sorts in, in the country where I was, then my government would say, uh, Don Lavelle is missing. And my government would say, 
to, the, to that, that government, uh, I need you to find Don Lavelle. It was, it was, it was, he was seen uh, handcuffed by some people, and I need you to find him. And, and I lived in, a, in an era where they would try to find and said, we've got to find this guy, Don Lavelle, because the president of America is saying that he doesn't appreciate what we've done. We've got to find Don Lavelle. That's how they, it was in that day, right? And, and so they would do everything within their power to find me and to rescue me. I knew that. It's not so good anymore. But this is a good picture. I knew that. And most of us my age, we knew that. What, what, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that, 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 that you are now a citizen of heaven. And so there's nothing that can happen to you that God is not overseeing with, in meticulous detail. So I, 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 I live with a particular confidence knowing that my government will come get me. My government will come get me. They'll send the Air Force. They'll send the Marines. I believe that they'll send the Army. They'll send the Navy. They'll come get just one of us. That's what the Lord is doing for you. And you are obligated to comport your, yourself better as a citizen of heaven. So that's why we're eagerly awaiting the adoption, we're going to have a body like his. Let me continue. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So, so we're hoping for what we don't see yet. We don't see uh, our new body, but, but we are eagerly on tiptoes waiting for it with perseverance because when I get that, my salvation is totally complete. I have been saved. I, I, my being saved is accomplished, and my will be saved is always is accomplished. So now I've got, I'm saved in, in my in my spirit, my new heart saved. I'm, new, I'm saved now in my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my imagination. I'm saved there, and now I'm saved in body. I've got a body that has never known sin. That's what a citizen of heaven is looking forward to. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. He says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, speaking to the Corinthians, so that you come short in no gift. This is, they were so blessed by God. It says, eagerly waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ, who will con also confirm you to the end. So these co Corinthians, he says, they were eagerly waiting. They knew something was coming. Something good is coming. How many of us are living with the expectation that something good is coming? Not just from, from Austin, Texas or Washington, D.C. Something good is coming from heaven. Yes, for us. But some of us, we're setting our minds on earthly things. We, we have our earthly mindset. Wow, I see it all the time. I see it in Christian leaders. I see it in pastors. I see it in bishops. And I see it in the people. Wow. We can be better. We can be better. Do you want to be better? I want to be better. I'm eagerly waiting on the revelation of the Lord. I'm eagerly waiting on the Lord to come. I want him to come. I want, it, I want us to get started in this amazing work that he has here on the earth in subduing everything. He says he's going to also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what grace is doing. Grace is giving us space. We will be blameless. We will have walked out our salvation. We will be ready for the coming of the Lord. We will be so ready. Not that we are cocky and arrogant in our own uh, uh, ability to do something, but, but we have 
come to a place where we understand the plan of God. We are cooperating with God. That's why we are on, on tiptoes. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, he says, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. So he gives us context. Christ was offered once. And so Christ, his, his sacrifice was so efficacious. Efficacious means that it was so effective that we couldn't say effective. We had to get another word. <laughs> so efficacious. He says, now this is what he, so he bore the sin of the whole world. To those who eagerly wait for him. To those who eagerly wait. Next time Vanessa brings those boys in and they see their daddy, just watch them. That's how you ought to be with Jesus. You know, in, inside, as it were, you're waiting, you're waiting. I just can't wait for Jesus to come. For those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And this is what the scripture says. This is what the scripture means by that. It means that those who are anticipating him, not just those who go to church. Have you ever gone to church just to satisfy your wife? Wife keeps telling you, oh, baby, let's go to church. Let's go. And you go just to satisfy her so she'll stop hearing her say, let's go to church. Is that why you go? Do you go because, uh, it's something to do on Sunday. Is that why you go? Do you go because you like the people? I like some of these people. They're nice people. I like these people. Is that why you go? Do you comport yourself well among the people of the world? Is there some things you would do because you got that fire in your belly, but you don't do it? You don't do it. There's some things you want to say. There was a time when your tongue was ungovernable. You know? There's some things you don't say because you don't want the name of the Lord to be blasphemed. You're a citizen of heaven now. I didn't ask the first service this, but I'm going to ask you this. Does your American citizenship mean more to you than your heavenly citizenship? If your American citizenship, and I'm not anti-American, this is my home, but it doesn't mean more to me than my heavenly citizenship. There are a lot of great things about our nation. I love them all. But I don't put my nation before God. That's a challenge for the church. In this hour, it's a challenge for the church. We think it's our constitutional duty to do some things, and I don't hear her saying, it's my God-given duty. Are you with me? Does that make you angry? I don't want to make you angry. I don't want to hurt you. We, we must live our lives differently. Sometimes we do more for these political things, and now we're going to be in a political season. We are. 
we're going to elect a, the president again. In November, we're going to elect another pre a president. And, and all over America, there'll be people, Christians, fighting each other. They're not of the same mind. I dare say only a handful have asked, Lord, who, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to, how do you want me to vote this time? No, I know, I know, I just know God would. No, you don't. Remember Joshua 5, verse 13. Joshua saw this gallantly-looking man, this captain of the Lord's host, went to him, this stately man. He says, are you with, our, with us or are you with our adversaries? said, no, no, but as captain of the Lord's host, I've come. I'm not for them, and I'm not for you. I'm for what God wants. All right? Amen.